All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story, Symbol, Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of Scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by Jackie Mitchell. Hey, good to be here. Jackie is just fresh off fresh off the plane. Yeah, fresh last off, night, fresh like 10 p.m. Yeah, from Paris. So you, you were in Paris for a week. I was. And I haven't even talked to you. You, you basically got off the plane. I got off the plane and showed up to work, yeah. Yeah, the, the podcast waits for no one. <laughs> So how long were you in Paris? What, what was it like? My husband and I were there for 10 days. It was amazing. Had you ever been before? I had been. I did an internship in Paris oh, yeah, that's in right. college. So I had been, um, and I'd been a couple times outside of that. So I'd been, and I'm like learning French, mm-hmm. but you know, always way more. Like when you learn French and you're not surrounded by French speakers, everything you say is like really impressive. Yeah. When you're like with French speakers, yeah. it's like so embarrassing every Less time and they know and they're like, oh, wow. You told me you were fluent. I never said that. <laughs> That's not true. That's how you introduced yourself to me. Hey, my name's Jackie. I'm fluent in French. No, Just no wanted to let idea. you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what was, uh, what, we'll talk about good stuff, but what's the okay. what's the worst thing about, about France? Worst thing about France is that they don't give you ice. In, this is European mm. in general, but they don't give you ice at yep. all for any drink. Yep. And, like, even, like, if you order, like, a soda, it's room temperature. So that's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And when we were there, the uh, garbage men were on strike. Oh, so it smelled. Well, there was just garbage everywhere. It was, like, cold enough that it didn't smell. Okay. But it was just, like, people piled, like, weeks worth of garbage up. And it's, like, you can't really, like, you know, that. what are we going to do about th- that? But it was just funny. That, you didn't like, help? I, I didn't help. Transport the garbage? No. I didn't help. Yeah, they don't, they don't really like ice. Like, they'll put a couple cubes, right? Yeah, if you ask, begrudgingly, kind yeah. of. Yeah, they don't, you know, Europeans don't actually really like water at all. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Like yeah. Jenna and I, have, every time we've gone, we've been surprised because it, it seems like they subsist off of like yeah. Coke. Like yeah, they Coca-Cola. don't give you water unless you ask at a restaurant. That's true. Yeah, and then they give you the smallest glass yeah. ever. <laughs> like a little yeah. like juice glass. And Jenna's like, like stereotypical American that like walks around with a giant water yeah. bottle, you know, and she's always wondering where the refilling stations yeah. are. I'm like, no, they don't drink water here. Oh, yeah. No, they're not. You, you can only have wine. No public Coca-Cola. water fountains. That's true. Not really that many. They're just like, uh. Yeah. When I, the first time I went to London at my old job, I went to a pub with my boss and I didn't know that the beer is also room temperature. That's nasty. So like the beer from the taps in London are like, like room temperature beer, you like know? what drink is good room temperature? <laughs> like what drink is supposed to be room temp? Maybe red wine and kind of not really. Yeah, like no, it's not you don't quite like you don't like temp. you don't like room temperature red wine, do you? No, because it's again like what am, what else am I consuming room temp? Like that's just I feel like that's nasty. You got to heat it up. It's so it American of me. So I got back. I have my big iced coffee here with me yeah, today. Yeah, there you go. Now actually, I, I do think you know there are there are some things culturally speaking that I'm jealous of the Europeans about. Oh yeah, about. But I actually think we have this one right. Ice, yeah, for sure. Cold drinks. On like a hot day, yeah. they won't, yeah. They're like room temperature water. Hope that quenches your thirst. Yeah. And generally speaking, like consuming water, I think is also a good thing. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> Studies show. Yeah. Okay. So so Paris, you guys were in Paris. Yeah. It's a very, very beautiful city. Yeah. What did you experience there? Let's put this out for, for the pod. It's a Bible podcast, Jackie, okay? This is. What did you experience there that brought you closer to God? Mm. So Josh and I really love art. So we went to a lot of art museums. And one thing you'll notice is basically up until kind of like the the Impressionistic era, Mm -hmm. anything before that, especially like, you know, medieval, Middle Ages, Renaissance art, 
like the central theme of most of that art is Christianity. Yeah. Like God, a lot of depictions of like Mary and Jesus, Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection, but also a lot of like scenes that you don't see painted a lot. Mm -hmm. So it was really powerful for Josh and I because, you know, it was a moment in time where most art was being created for the church, which is like beautiful. The church was contracting out like artists. That's, you know, it was just what they did at the time. Like mm-hmm. art was supposed to be made like for God. Like mm-hmm. that was like very much the central theme of a lot of works of art. And so like there's these incredibly detailed like paintings and sculptures centered around like biblical themes that I just think like moves you in yeah. a way that like you can't describe. It's yeah. just some really powerful art. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always feel like whenever I've been there, like the city itself. Now maybe it's different when there's garbage all over the place. It's fine. Yeah. But the city itself is so beautiful. Yeah. That like I really do have a conviction that if you surround yourself with beauty, it it affects your oh, soul. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, in America we're we're very much utilitarian in the way that we build things and uh and, you know, I think in some ways that's good and efficient. Yeah. But you go to some of these old European cities and the architecture to me is just like you just walk around and you're just surround you're in the midst of beauty. Yeah, it's just amazing. And when you're in a place like Sacré-Cœur, like the church in Montmartre on the top of the hill, mm-hmm. the city, which is like a famous big white church with a dome, when you're inside of that, it like makes you feel awe yeah. of like God and that people would build that like for, you know, God and for the church. It's yeah. crazy. So I agree 100%. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, if people didn't know before, this is a pretty sophisticated podcast. We've both been to Paris. You know, so. for world travelers. <laughs> and we've been to Cambodia. Cambodia, We're too, kind of, worldwide. Yeah. And this podcast actually, surprisingly enough, has a few downloads from Cambodia <laughs> and, a, and a couple from Just from recently France. from France. It's weird. Yeah, so, so our, thanks to our, our following is growing. Thank you to our international listeners, whoever those are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our following is growing. This is a worldwide podcast. All right, why don't we, why don't we get into this? Um, today, if I remember correctly, it's been a while. Yeah, I was out. Yeah, you were gone. You abandoned me. But I think the last time that we recorded, we talked about the fall. Yeah. So super important story. So so we're going to do uh, a, a pretty big recap about that. But then we're going to talk through Genesis 4 mm-hmm. this week and next week. So there's enough here that I think it's worth two episodes to really talk yeah. about some of the important stuff that we're going to get into. But um, uh, from from your kind of experience with the Bible and the church, what what is the central story or what what's the most important story that you remember from Genesis 4? Cain and Abel. Yeah, Cain and Abel. Yeah. So that's definitely a part of it and you could probably mine that story for meaning for weeks, right? That's yeah, very sure. very very important. Um and it it obviously shows the effects of the fall mm-hmm. and how devastating those can be. Uh, but there's also some other stuff going on in this story and so we we're, we're going to take our time and we're going to go through this, but it is probably worth recapping where we've been. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's recap Genesis chapter 3 a little bit. Uh, that That is the story that generally, you know, historically the church has called the fall of man. And yeah. so this is the first instance in which the images of God actually turn away from God. And so, you know, God has created them in love and has provided them with an abundance in mm-hmm. love, right? We talked Genesis 1 and 2, how he prepared this world for the life that he was going to fill it with, and humans are his images— and they're supposed to take that good world from from glory to further glory. Mm. And they're told that they can eat from any tree in the garden, including the tree of life. 
which means that they have access to the life of God. You know, um, we, we've talked, you know, philosophically that existence is God. So God is life. Yeah. He is not just a being with life. He is. He is. Life. And he grants. Yeah. yeah. And so as long as they have access to the, the eternal life of God, they are in some sense, you know, conditionally immortal. Yeah. It's typically how this, that verse has, has been um, in, interpreted. And so as long as they're connected to the God of infinite life, they will have life. And mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. I think that's pretty logical. But they're told that they're not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. It's the one tree in the garden that they do not have access to that I would say they do not yet have access to. Yeah, we talked about this is not some, you know, test to see if they mess up. Yeah. This is not what this tree is for. Right. But that, you know, somehow in God's providence that maybe they would gain wisdom just like we gain wisdom today, not immediately, but as a result of an obedience to God and a faithful fellowship to him. Yeah, because they're supposed to image him. Yeah. So the, so they're going to live in this in this world and they're going to in their obedience, they're going to gain experience and they're going to gain wisdom. Mm-hmm. They're going to gain knowledge of of good and evil. And so in that way, uh, you know, the, the they do have access to the tree mm-hmm. at some point. But what they can't do is they can't just take it for themselves, right? Yeah. And they can't do what the serpent comes along and tells them to do, right. which is take this and be like God. Right. Right. Be Become like him by taking what is his. Right. And so they're actually supposed to to live obediently and then and then over time, you know, they, they very well may gain that wisdom and discernment and be able to live in this world mm-hmm. as true images. Uh, but then there's this serpent creature, this talking snake that we talked about a few episodes, or I think we talked about this last episode, Yeah, that the serpent is, you know, a fallen angel, and he takes the command of God and he describes it in a way that's mostly true, but he twists it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And these are always, you know, the most... Uh, effective lies, and so they take from from the tree and they eat it. And when they do, everything becomes cursed. Yeah. You know, the ground that they're supposed to work is cursed. They're they're told to take the earth and subdue it. Well, now that task is going to be very very difficult. Um, and then and then they're supposed to fill the earth with life. Yeah. And so childbearing and child rearing becomes very very difficult. And so the task of being an image of God when you're turned away from God is exceedingly difficult. Yeah, and that, that's, that's really what's described in the curses of, of Genesis 3. And so, and so death is now their reality. It says, from dust you were taken and back into the dust that you will go. And so everything about being a human is difficult. And the reason it's difficult is because they've turned away from God. Yeah, It's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's yeah. not really like they broke a rule, and so now God's going to punish their existence. It's that in that rebellion— taking that fruit to try to take what is God's, uh, they've alienated themselves from God. Mm -hmm. And a life apart from God is going to be filled with strife and difficulty. And so this is now now their reality. They've turned Mm -hmm. away from the God of life. You turn away from the God who is life, you inevitably turn towards death. Yeah. And so from ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And... Uh, they're now, to some degree, beholden to the serpent because they're beholden to death. He's cast down into the dust, into the realm of the dead, and he's destined to rule the realm of the dead and uh, the, the realm of death and ashes and nothingness. And yet, even in this moment, 
this crisis, God meets them with grace yeah. and he promises them deliverance, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's, what's he tell the woman? That there will be a seed that crushes the head of the serpent. Yeah, so that serpent that tempted you does not have the last word. Yeah, he won't prevail. And although he rules that realm of death right now, somehow, someway, someday, that is going to be reversed. Yeah, and, and if you're Adam and Eve at this point, this is your only hope. Mm-hmm. You know, you've turned away from God. You've chosen defiance against the living God, and so that means death, and yet here he is saying, but I'm, I'm going to rescue you, Yeah, and I have a plan for you. Yeah, and that's grace. Yeah. You know, from the very beginning, it's all it's all grace all the way down from, yeah. from God. And we oftentimes think about grace coming in salvation, mm-hmm. you know, the story of Christ, which is, I think, the ultimate expression of grace. But as yeah. we'll continue to talk about as we go through the Old Testament, grace is always the way that God operates because he is grace. Yeah, his characteristics mm-hmm. are who he is. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. That That's a... That's a good theological concept. Yeah. It's called divine simplicity, which mm-hmm. means that he is his characteristics, he right? He is love. He is life. He's grace. Yeah. yeah. So you and I can do gracious things. Yeah. But I, I don't always do gracious things. Well, just like we are images, but we're we're not God ourselves. Right. But it's not true of him. Yeah. So he doesn't just love. He is love. Yeah. And the way that he loves is an expression of his being. Yeah. And the same and the same is true of grace. And so you see at the end of the the, the story. He, he covers them. Mm-hmm. You know, he takes animal skins and, and he covers them. And so this is kind of him showing them this ritual of sacrifice mm-hmm. where there's a taking of a life and a covering of sin. And that's going to become very important today. And so we're going to talk yeah. about that today. And so they're cast out of the intimate presence of God and away from the tree of life. And the reason that this happens, again, you know, we focused on two reasons, but the first reason is again kind of a, a provision of grace. Yeah. That, it, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. To live forever while sinning. While sinning, yeah. w- what would it do to to you? It would disfigure you beyond compare. Yeah. I mean, Basically, to be able to continue to disfigure the world for eternity and your soul. Yeah. And you know, it would lead to total disintegration. Yeah. And so death in that way is somewhat of a mercy. Yeah. And, and a grace, even though it is the, the curse of, of sin. And then, and then the other thing, which, which we're going to talk about as we get into the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, life and death cannot mix, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this is like one of the reasons the Torah is hard for us to read the first five books of the Bible is because we don't see it this way. Yeah. Uh, but most of the laws are about how there's a God of holy life, and then we are agents of death. Yeah. And so when, when that comes into the presence of God, they, they can't mix. And the power of life, you know, overpowers that, that death that yeah. is in us. And so there's these strange stories in the Bible that you'll read where someone, like, walks into the presence of God in some kind of unclean way and they just die. Yeah. And we read those stories like God's punishing them. And so we often read those stories like God's, you know, overreacting. Yeah. But that's not what those stories are trying to say. Right? They're trying to say that, that when you, with death and sin upon you, come into the presence of God, that's dangerous for you. Yeah. Because he is life. Yeah. And that life force is overwhelming. Yeah. And, and so um, we, the, the holy, pure, infinite life presence of God is dangerous to, to those who, who are infected with sin. Yeah. And so before we get into Genesis 4, there's really two main ways that the Bible tends to talk about sin. 
And I would say maybe the third way that, that it's actually talked about a little bit less is like us breaking the rules, right? Like, sure. like we yeah. do, we, we, there are things we're supposed to do. And when we don't do them, that is called sin, mm-hmm. right? To turn away from God, to miss the mark. Uh, but, but the main way that the Bible talks about sin, I think, and you see this in the foundations of the fall, is that it talks about sin as a power. Yeah. That sin has some kind of agency. There's this serpent in the garden that's tempting the humans, that's actively trying to turn them away from God, and then we're cast into his kingdom in death. And so really what this power is trying to do is to enslave us, right? So, so sin as, as a power. And then the second way that the Bible, especially the Old Testament, tends to talk about sin is that it's like a stain or an infection mm-hmm. that taints everything that it touches and then it, and it spreads. And so when, when we read like the holiness codes in Leviticus, that's what it's trying to do. It's yeah. saying that, that through these ritual participations, you can clean that sin. You can take that yeah. infection and stop it. Yeah, think about the lengths we take to stop or cure an infection, even in medicine. Yeah. The seriousness in which we do that. And here are the laws to do that for sin because it's just as serious. Yeah, we just came, I mean, we just came through, you know, the yeah. uh, pandemic as, as a world. Yeah. And so much of that was about stopping the infection, the spread of this yeah. infection. And, and that's really one of the ways that the Bible does really talk about sin. It's important to understand that as we go into the, to the sacrificial laws. And we're going to have to talk about sacrifice today. And so, number one, it's a power mm-hmm. that wants to take us and have us. Yeah. And then number two... It is an infection and a stain that taints everything that it touches, yeah. and it has the ability to spread. Right. And we're going to see both of those things in action. Yeah, that, that you know, contradicts our sometimes our perception on sin being just like a little accident. Yeah. Yeah, you a know? mistake. Yeah, Andy Stanley uh, has uh, this program called Starting Point for New Christians, and he yeah. says that we're, not, we're sinners, we're not mistakers. Mm-hmm. Right, which which really does actually bring some light into what we're talking about here. That that it's it's worse than breaking a rule. Yeah, it's not what any of this is about. Yeah. it's about giving yourself to a power that's opposed to God, and it's about that of the effects of that touching the world and destroying it rather than yeah. building it. And it's destroying you. And it destroys you. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. All right, so Genesis four. Yeah. All right. Why don't we get into it? Let's read the first two two verses, and, and we'll stop. Sweet. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. All right, so immediately, even in this sin, God's grace continues. Adam and Eve are able to have children. Yeah. And she recognizes this. Yeah. Which is a really good Because she was just told— yeah, you're gonna die. And it was, yeah, and it's gonna be hard for you to have children. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, and she's living, and she has children. Yeah, and so she has a child, and yeah. so she says, you know, with the help of the Lord, I've, I've, I've brought forth a child. And, yeah. uh, you know, as an aside, again, the the Hebrew idiom for sexual relations is to know. Yeah, and so it says Adam knew Eve, and uh, a child was born. She became pregnant, and so this this idiom goes all the way back to how marriage was defined before the fall in Genesis two. Marriage. And uh, the physical correlate of marriage, which is sexual union, it, it is it is union, right? It's it's knowledge of another, it's intimacy, familiarity, vulnerability, and so you know, sexual union is a, a manifestation of that. 
And so, you know, sometimes, you know, our modern conception of sex being some kind of expression of like identity or like a fulfilling or a quenching of an urge or a desire, it's very impoverished understanding of sex. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Christianity is actually sex positive in that way, mm. where it believes that, that you know, what, what we're taught as Christians is that sex has so much more than that, not just yeah. the ability to bring life but some kind of union and knowledge of another person that's that's very specific to that covenant. Yeah. And so uh, uh, Cain, Cain and Abel are born. Now, this is somewhat contested and disputed because it doesn't say this. But I actually think an interesting thing about this is I think Cain and Abel are twins. Okay. And I've heard some interesting teachings on this. When you read a lot of the Old Testament, when people have multiple children, you'll, you'll see the Hebrew in a very specific way. It'll say something like, you know, and Leah conceived and bore a son. She conceived again and bore a son. But here it just says she conceived and bore Cain and again bore his brother Abel. Mm. So there's not this second, you know, I idea of conception. Yeah. And so I, uh, I've, I've heard, not, not that this really matters theologically, at least I don't, just interesting. I don't know if it matters theologically, yeah. but it is kind of interesting. So, so perhaps Cain and Abel are twins, but, but they're definitely brothers, and one of the sons is a shepherd, and one is a tiller of the ground. Mm -hmm. And so the two brothers represent part of the task of humanity, mm. rule the earth and subdue it. So that has to do with the ground and the crops, and it also has to do with the animals. Mm -hmm. And so you have a shepherd, and you have uh, a... Uh, like a farmer. A farmer, yeah, mm. a, a, a tiller of the ground. And so you're supposed to rule the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Right over all the animals that, that walk along the ground, and so you see, even in the sons, there's still this idea of of imaging God, and so they're they're being fruitful, they're increasing in number, they're subduing and cultivating the earth, and they're ruling over the animals, and it seems like it, you know, maybe it, it'll work out. Yeah, uh, it seems like they're they're on their way back on track, and to Adam and Eve, this must seem like, well, okay, I know our offspring will be the one to crush the head of the serpent. Well, here's two sons. Mm -hmm. It's got to be one of them. Yeah, right. You know, right. Yep. Just like like David's called or uh, Jesus is called the son of David. Yeah. And it's like, well, he's not really David's son. He's like his. He's like, a seed of yeah, David, long exactly. down the line. But but I think probably for David, some of the promises that were made to him, he thinks it's going to be Solomon. Yeah, of course. His son. Why would you? I mean, if someone says your offspring will. Yeah. You're like, well, let me get to having offspring, and yeah, here's and my son. That offspring. Is so, of course, the hope of Adam and Eve would be, here is, you know, our sons. One of them must be the one mm -hmm. to crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, cool. So, so let, let's go on. Three, yeah. three through five. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought forth an offering, fat portions from for the Lord. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So why does God not look at Cain's offering with favor? Yeah. It doesn't really say. Yeah. <laughs> right, so this has, been, this has been the subject of— This is of, like the question. Yeah, mu much ink has been spilled over this the theologically. Uh, but, but what we do know is that Cain offers wheat from the ground— Mm -hmm. and Abel offers an animal. Yeah. And, you know, there are some context clues, I think, perhaps, about what's going on here, which, yeah. um, you know, I would say, like, at the end of Genesis 3, I think God shows them sacrifice. Yes, right? with the covering that he 
gives them from an animal. Yeah, from an animal. Because sin leads to what? Death. And so the life of, of an yeah. animal is some kind of ritualistic participatory covering of the, the death mm-hmm. that, that we bring into the world. And, and so that, that I think is, is at least, you know, in part what, what's going on here. But I do think it's important to just pause for a second and to talk about biblical sacrifice, the, yeah. the biblical ritual sacrifice. So, so what this is technically called, like what Israel would do and what all the ancient cultures would do, it's called a sacrificial cult. But that doesn't mean like a cult. Like you and I think of cults. It, it, that's just, you know, it's like culture. Yeah. And so all of these ancient traditions had sacrifice, the sacrifice of animals in in their, their cultures. And, and when you read through the rest of uh, the Old Testament, which we're going to, especially the Torah, there is a tremendous amount of detail spelled out about how they're supposed to do this and what it looks like. This is specifically what most of Leviticus is about. Yes. So one of the reasons it's hard to read Leviticus yeah. is because we don't practice animal sacrifice, and so it seems strange, and it also kind of seems irrelevant. Yeah. Why should we care about how the Israelites were supposed to sacrifice mm-hmm. if we don't have to do that now? Yeah. Right? Um, but, but I think that, you know, at the end of Genesis 3, we, we, can, we can see and assume that these humans already, before Leviticus, before the formation of the nation of Israel, they're already familiar with sacrifice, yeah. Right? God has already showed them what it looks like. Yeah, because in Genesis 4, it just says they offer, yeah. they bring offerings. It doesn't say, and then God told them, <laughs> okay, you should offer. This is like a presupposition. Cain and Abel are like, okay, and now we'll, yeah. you know, offer. Yeah, so it's important for us to understand that we as humans are ritualistic. We find meaning yeah in these repeated patterns of participations that we have in life. I do. My Dunkin' iced coffee every day. Every after day lunch, after lunch, right? With the girls. With the girls. We are so ritualistic as, yeah, you, as people, I yeah. Mean, you like to wake up and you, you have a certain, like we, we like, we do like to call them routines. Yeah, and if you get off your routine, does it not mess up your yeah. entire day? So we'll say like, I'm routine oriented. But really what we're saying is I'm ritualistic. Yeah. I live my life. By ritual, and that's yeah. because you know, as as humans, we are. One example that Tim Mackey gave when when I was in seminary is he said, uh, "Not not all of our rituals really make that much sense, right? Sure, they make sense to us because it's normal. We've been doing them, yeah. And so he said, you know, when you think about a bathroom, there's like two things that happen in a bathroom: you cleanse yourself, and you expel your waste. Yeah. Uh, but you don't eat in the bathroom. Why don't you eat in your bathroom? The air. The, it's gross, right? Yeah, it's like the bathroom air. Yeah, and, and he says, and so that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But then you know what we do in the bathroom? We usually in that same bathroom take a toothbrush, put mm-hmm. toothpaste on it, and like rub it all over our <laughs> mouth, right? Yeah, you're right. So so like, why why is that okay? Well, that's just honestly kind of it's ritualistically. The way it is. Yeah, that's like when you, um, if you go to the, the UK or in Europe, and they have their washer and dryer in the bathroom, and it feels wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it's not wrong, but why? Because we don't do that, and we're ritualistic. Yeah, yep. And so the actual beauty of ritual is that that God is in many ways other Hmm. than us, right? And so how are we supposed to experience him and participate in him? Well, one of the ways is through ritual. Mm -hmm. And that's why all cultures throughout the history of the world have had religious rituals where they 
somehow experience and participate in this world with their God through these specific ritualistic actions. And so in that way, it's a gift, things that we can touch and feel and taste. You know, for us as as Protestant Christians, you know, we do baptism Mm -hmm. and we do the Eucharist, you know, the, the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Those are rituals. Absolutely. I mean, those are just, that is a gift that God has given us to experience his grace in the actual participation of our bodies. And so sacrifice and ritual is actually not meant to change God. It is something that through participation is meant to change us. That by participating in these rituals, uh, we, you know, our lives and our beings are actually transformed. And so, so here, here's what I mean. In animal sacrifice, something true is being dramatically acted out, right? So number one, sin leads to death. Mm-hmm. And so the life of an animal is taken. If you were involved in constant animal sacrifice, you would, you would have death around you a lot. Yeah. And you would be very keen on the fact that, that your sin brings about death. Well, how do mm-hmm. I know that? Well, because like the priests are basically butchers. Yeah. <laughs> Just like killing animals yeah. in the courtyard of the tabernacle or the temple, like over and over and over again. And so it, it shows the reality and the wages of sin. Uh, the second thing is that there's some kind of substitutionary aspect here. So while we are subject to death, God allows us to live on in his grace. So the animal dies, the death yeah. that our sin brings about. True, the way that we think about justice do the crime, you do the time. Yeah. That would be us that dies. Right. Right? If sin brings about death and we're the ones who sin, like it sh- it should be us. Yeah. So when we say that that we deserve death, I don't like that word deserve because I don't think it's untrue, but it makes us start to qualify like, well, okay, maybe if I murder someone, I deserve death. But like, what if I, you know, like what if I go into the temple improperly? Like, do I really deserve death yeah. for that? I think that a better way to say it is that sin leads to death. Right. It's the outcome of sin is death, which is what Paul says, the wages of sin. Yeah. Right? And so animal sacrifice shows the the, the substitutionary grace of God. And then uh, the third thing is that the blood of the animal is always drained first. Yeah. So there's all these very specific and intentional commands in the Torah where they're not allowed to drink the blood. Yes. And we're like, yeah. why would you Well, I would to? never do that, so thank you. <laughs> but in many of the other ancient Near Eastern yes. cultures, they would drink the blood. Oh, yeah. And the reason that they would drink the blood is because the blood is the life. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we think the blood is the life of, of creatures is because it flows, it moves throughout us. Mm-hmm. And if enough of it comes out of you, you die. Yeah. And so the, the, the blood of the animal whose life was taken represents its life. And so what you'll read in the rest of the Torah is that that blood is then sprinkled yeah. or, or wiped and smeared on holy places, you know, in the temple and tabernacle uh, as a way to cleanse from that infection of sin that we talked about. Mm-hmm. That's God's space. How do you keep death out of God's space? Well, you take the life of an animal and by sprinkling it, spreading it, wiping it, smearing it, whatever, uh, it, 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 it cleanses God's space with with life. Um, and so then four, the last thing with, with sacrifice that we almost never think about mm-hmm. is that what do we do at the end? What, what are they supposed to do at the end of these sacrifices? Eat it. They eat it. Yeah. And so they burn some of it and that smoke goes up to God. 
-hmm. And then they sit there and they eat the rest of it. And so they're having a meal with him. The point, the telos of sacrifice is that these things happen. A life is taken, that life cleanses God's space, and that life is substitutionary to ours. And then at the end of that process, we sit intimately with God at Mm -hmm. a table, and he's eating the meat that's being burned up symbolically, and and we are eating the rest of the animal with him. Yeah. and so through the taking of, of, of a life, and, and, and the important thing about eating with somebody is I think it's like we have to remember that um, lunch is actually not a good place to make up with somebody. Yeah. Lunch is where you go after you make you up. You should have already. Yeah. Not <laughs> right? the time to flush it out usually. Yeah. Yeah. So so we always, in uh, Jenna and I, we watch The, the Real Housewives of yeah. different cities, which is terrible television, but it is sometimes <laughs> very entertaining. And because of their conflict is is like stoked by the producers, you know, there'll be this horrible fight. And then to make up, they, they, go, to lunch. they go to lunch together. <laughs> and it like never works out well. And part of it's like, yeah, that's because that's not what people do. Yeah. Like you have a phone call or you have a meeting at someone's house or somehow you get through whatever it is that you're going through, then you have a meal. Yeah. And so when you think about the process of sacrifice, you've got the killing of an animal, the spilling of its blood, some kind of sprinkling of it, and all these things occur so that now the relationship with God is patched Yeah. to the degree that you sit and you have lunch with him. Yeah, the end result of this sacrifice, this ritual of sacrifice is not, okay, now I feel really bad. It's, okay, I have hope. I have my relationship with God restored, and I'm here good, we are eating. I'm in good standing with yeah. him, right? And so through the taking of a life, the spilling of the blood, the cleansing of God's space with that blood, something has changed. Mm-hmm. And we sinful people who carry and bring about death can now commune intimately with God, the, the holy, holy, holy God of life, and we can actually eat with him. And so the sacrificial system, like, beautifully acts out our reality. Yeah, It's strange to us. We don't do this anymore. We kind of do this, which I'll, I'll talk about here here in a little yeah. bit. Uh, but it does act out our reality in a gracious, beautiful way. Our sin separates us from God, but he's opened up a way for us to be with him, even while that is our reality. And, and yes, there's consequences. And living in a world that's polluted by sin is not always good and fun, but we praise God that he has not abandoned us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we praise him that we actually get to be in relationship with him and eat with him. And so, you know, this is this podcast is called Story Symbol Spirit. This is a symbol aspect that we have to be very, very yes. conscious of as we move forward. Because if we don't get that sacrifice as a symbol, we'll miss the point of it. Right. If it's just to kill an animal to kill an animal, and yeah. that's what makes God happy, yeah. we won't get it. No, and that would be silly. Yeah. Right? And God is not silly. Right. And the things that he commands of us are not silly. Right. Or, or arbitrary. You know, they, they, they have meaning. And so, you know, in the sacrificial practices, animals mean something, blood means something, and the ritual participation means something. And all of these things mean something beyond what they actually are materially and physically. Mm-hmm. You know, all of this represents life and atonement, the covering of sin, the covering of death with life, and a communion with God, which represents intimacy and relationship. Uh, and so I hope that that changes the way that we think about mm-hmm. cultures that sacrifice animals. Now, what we'll see is that other cultures had different ideas about what was going on during animal sacrifice, right? right. So instead of uh, 
cleansing God's space with the blood, a lot of times they would drink the blood. Yeah. Because they're trying to do something else or they have some kind of understanding of what this ritual is doing. But at least for the Israelites, you know, for the people of God, the Hebrew people, um, there, there is a, a beautiful uh, relationship that's being acted out. There's the mm-hmm. grace of God being acted out in, in symbolic sacrifice. And so going back to the sacrifice of Cain and Abel, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think that what we see is that the, the animal sacrifice is the heart of the sacrificial system yeah. because the life and the blood of the animal, you know, means something. And this is how it was, you know, demonstrated by God. By God. Yeah, and, and so, you know, when you read the, the Leviticus and you read the Torah, there are wheat sacrifices. Hmm. So you can burn wheat to God, but they're called thanksgiving offerings uh, or, or like first fruits offerings. Yeah. And so you burn those, you know, you, you sacrifice your crops as thanksgiving. Not atonement, yeah. Not atonement. And so perhaps... You know that, that that's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say, but th- that that would kind of be that would kind of be my guess. And it's important to see that when you read that that you know those last couple verses, it does not say that God was mad at Cain, right? And it doesn't say that he punished Cain for the sacrifice. It says that he doesn't regard it. Yeah, you know he doesn't regard it in the same way. He doesn't look on favor with favor upon it in the same way that he did with Abel's. And so, um, at the end of that. That verse, I believe it said, yeah, Cain was angry and his face was downcast. God is not angry. Yeah. And God's countenance is not downcast. We do Cain's this. A, we do this all the time mm-hmm. with the biblical story. Yeah. God was really mad, so he punished them. And says. then you read it and it's like they were really upset and right. they were angry, not God. Yeah. Here it is again. And so so sometimes we, we read that, like you said, and even on a, a, a less dramatic level, we'll just say, Well, I don't think it's it's fair. That mm-hmm. God regarded the sacrifices differently, but but like that's not you know I don't I don't think God should have gotten mad at Cain. He's a tiller of the ground. He sacrificed his crops, and there's like logic in that. But that it doesn't say that he was mad at Cain. Yeah. It it, it says that Cain was mad. Yeah. At the way that the sacrifice was received. Also, Cain knows a shepherd. He could easily <laughs> obtain. Apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, an but, animal sacrifice. You know, maybe you trade your your yeah. your wheat, right? Do a little trade. Yeah, and this is the way that it, it tended to be practiced. Not yeah, everybody, for sure. Not everybody in Israel had lambs. Right. And so, so you would go buy one. You'd go buy one. You'd yeah. exchange your money or, or, or something for it. And so perhaps that's what he was supposed mm-hmm. to do or, or what he would learn going forward. Because what we're going to see in verses 6 through 7 is that God does not smite him. God counsels him. Yeah, it's a teaching moment. It's a teaching moment. And so like we said with the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like we're supposed to live in this world and learn. Yeah, here's God giving him wisdom <laughs> in his anger. God says, "Let me teach you wisdom." He said, "Like I noticed that you didn't, yeah. that that I didn't, that I didn't receive the sacrifice the same way. Let me teach you something." Yeah. Instead, Cain gets mad, and he's downcast. And so, yeah. uh, Genesis four six through seven. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted?" But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Mm. Very important meditation on sin here. The, the first thing is God says to Cain, we did that Jonah teaser earlier. Yeah. And remember, Jonah was mad that all the Ninevites converted. Yeah. And then Jonah was mad that the plant withered away. Yeah. And God was like, 
Should you be mad about this? This is a central theme. Let's <laughs> yeah, let's talk about theming. This yeah. is people getting mad and God saying, "Huh? Should you be mad about is, that? Is it right for you to be mad?" Yeah. And Jonah says, "Yeah, it's right for me to be yeah. mad." Right? Jonah's <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Yeah, that is. Yeah, I can right do for that." Me to be mad. And and like with with parents, you see this with kids, right? Yeah. The, the a kid does something wrong and it's a teaching moment, and so um, they might get in trouble. And then they get mad at you for at you the for their wrong decision. And so you so you say, you know, why are you mad at me? What, what what's going on here? Yeah. Like what's why? What? And so this is what this is what God is doing here. And uh, this is this happens in our faith life. Mm-hmm. We get mad at God for things that are probably our fault. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. And so you know, Cain is the one who's angry. God is not angry, and mm-hmm. Cain will can do well. You know, if you do well, the Hebrew is yatab, literally, you, you know, you, you, will you not be accepted? And so that word accepted in Hebrew means like exalted mm-hmm. or made lofty. Mm-hmm. Like if you do what's right, then everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Like, you know, your sacrifice wasn't regarded the same way as your brother's. Right. But, but I'm not going to kill you. I'm not mad at you. You're mad. But if you do what's right, if you learn from me, if you mm-hmm. walk with me, then you will be exalted. You will be mm-hmm. accepted. You you will be made high and lofty. And so again, we just look at what what just happened. This is this is a Cain problem. Yeah. Oh yeah. God says just just you know learn from me, and yeah. none of this is a problem. Yeah. But but Cain but Cain is angry, and and God then defines sin in the first way that you and I talked about yeah. it today. He says sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you terrifying. So this is not a description of something like breaking a rule. Yeah, and he doesn't even say you have sinned. He says if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching waiting for you. Yeah, so the sacrifice that was not regarded was not sin. Yeah. Right? That's interesting. Yeah. And then but Cain's reaction to this moment is leading it him is towards leading him. sin. Yeah, absolutely. And God sees this and he and he tries to teach him but but he describes sin as also something that's vying for Cain's soul right. and obedience, right? That that sin is some kind of some kind of power, something with agency and will, and it's crouched at your door, waiting to pounce on you. Mm-hmm. Right? It's right there. You can give yourself to me, and you can follow what I'm what I'm trying to show you, or you can give yourself to to sin. But but he says, you know, you can rule over it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a, a an interesting thing for for us to to think about sin wants something you know it, it desires to have us it mm-hmm. wants to to take our souls and so just like the serpent in the garden sin is an active agent it wants to steal you from god it wants to take you away from him but god tells cain that he must rule over sin he must have dominion over sin you know it's in the world and it wants him but he does have the power to rule over it because he's an image of god right he, he, he can walk towards God. And in that walking towards God, he has the power to actually have dominion over all that's in the world. Right. Yeah, in, in, including, including sin. Right, which again, here is the, the prophecy of the offspring, to mm-hmm. have dominion over sin, to right. rule over it. Right. Uh, but sin does not go quietly. It wants yeah. you. And so again, our story symbol spirit hermeneutic, this is the spiritual aspect that we sometimes don't take seriously. Mm -hmm. We have trouble thinking that there's some kind of active agent 
that's out there trying to take us away from God. But here in the first four chapters, it's been described like that mm-hmm. more than any other way it's been described. It's a serpent that's trying to deceive you. It's uh, crouching at your door like a lion waiting to pounce on you. And this is the way that Peter describes it in, in, in 1 Peter. Yeah. And so sin is a power, and Cain has a choice here. Yeah, God spells it out for him. He says, if you follow this path, sin will overtake you. Yeah, it'll have you. Yeah. But it doesn't have to. Right. This isn't, Cain's not being forced. God says, just do well. I'm going to teach you. Follow me. Mm. And so let's let's read uh, 8 through 10. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. So Cain does not rule over sin. No, no. (laughs) You know, jealousy, envy, anger. Yeah. All come to the forefront. There's a tradition in the Eastern church where all sin stems from the passions. Yeah. And the passions are gluttony, lust, avarice, which is greed, anger, dejection, listlessness, or laziness, and pride. It's what we call the seven deadly sins. Seven deadly sins. Yeah. And uh, the, the tradition says that the, the, the passions lead to sin, but through virtue, you can actually rule over those, those passions. So right? that they don't rule over you. Right. Yeah. And so we're going to see, like, the, the tradition does not say you can become sinless. But it says, in your life, you can start to master Mm -hmm. these passions that lead you to sin. Mm -hmm. But you see here, jealousy, envy, anger. You see all of this come to a head, and Cain gives himself to this power that's crouching at the door, and he murders his brother in cold blood. Mm -hmm. It's tragic. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we say we're not supposed to say one sin is worse than another. That's actually not true. All sin separates you from God, but there are definitely like moral hierarchies of, of sin, right? More consequences <laughs> for some sins for sure. Yeah, yeah, this is worse than what than what it seems like Eve did. Yeah. And what Adam did, right? They they, they turned from God, mm-hmm. but there was no human life lost. Right. No image of God was slain out of out of Th- the This the seems like a passions. more direct choice to turn to death. Yeah. I mean, this is the fastest way to turn towards death. Right. Yeah, by by making killing somebody die. Yeah, and so this is kind of the story aspect that we mm-hmm. have to keep in mind here, and we got to put these pieces together. Uh, what does God do after Cain has killed his brother? He asks him a question. He offers him the opportunity to tell the truth. What did God do when Adam and Eve ate the apple? He said, "Where are you?" Yeah, and he said, uh, "You know, who told you you were naked?" And he, he offers them this chance to confess, yeah, this chance to, to make it right. And they, you know, they kind of got it right in a way. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they fell short because they started to blame each other. Yeah. But they admitted some they of the admitted, stuff that they were doing. Yeah. And so now here you see a worse response to a God's worse question. A worse sin, a worse response. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so he says, where's, where's your brother? Yeah. And what does, what does Cain say? I don't know. My, my brother's keeper. Yeah, what's, what's he to me? Right. Yeah. And the answer to that question, first of all, is yes. Yeah. I was just going <laughs> to say, yeah, by the way, he is his brother's keeper. <laughs> you are, you are your brother's keeper, uh, which we will see this fully fleshed out in the Levitical laws and the yeah. ethics and the stuff that happens with the people of God. And we'll see it most fully in Jesus, uh, the central command 
of the Torah, which Jesus quotes as one of the two most important commands, is to love your neighbor as yourself. But this is like one of the central themes of the early church's like actions is to, right. to be their brother's keeper. Yeah, and so so first of all, yes, you are your brother's yeah. keeper. And second of all, I don't know, my, my brother's keeper is not a very good confession yeah. of sin, right? Right, right. Yeah. There's no there's no remorse, mm. at least in, in the text. There's no remorse for what he's done. There's no move towards repentance. Yes, I'm sorry, I've done something terrible. Can you help me? Yeah. Yeah, none of that. Yeah, and so, so remember in the garden, God tells Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sin, like we said, it's a power. It's also a stain and an infection that, that taints everything that it touches. And so, mm-hmm. you know, humans, as images of God, we're the priesthood of creation. And so our sin infects the world that we are in and the world that we're in charge of. And so here God says the same thing, except to, to, to like an even higher degree. His blood, the blood of his innocent brother, cries out from the ground. Yeah. And so the blood of the innocent that our sin takes and yeah. the, the life that we take, uh, you know, it, it, it cries out from, from the ground. The, that sin and the death that it leads to, it, it's not simply an individual being guilty of something. Mm-hmm. Our sin has profound effects on the world. Yeah. And our sin decreates the world and it wounds ourselves and the people around us. Yeah, and here's a good example of, you know, that that this sin is a, a sin that sins against others as well. So there's sin that affects us mm-hmm. and deforms the world generally because it affects us, but this sin is not only affecting Cain, clearly it affects his whole family. Yeah, it's violence. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so I think it's important for us to understand that it's not, you know, the sin makes the ground cry out. Yeah. The sin makes creation yeah. cry out, right? Well, what does Paul say in Romans? He says creation is groaning mm-hmm. until all of this is taken away. Mm-hmm. Well, again, Paul's a Pharisee. He has this He has this particular section of the yeah. Bible committed to memory. Yeah. And so he's not making up that theology. That That's right here. The sin that we commit into the world touches the world and affects it in a decreative, disintegrative way. And so the blood that you shed of your brother is now crying out. Yeah. From from the ground, and so we'll, at some point we'll get to the flood story, <laughs> maybe, maybe About in the summer, right? <laughs> uh, and you'll see that the, in some ways the flood is a cleansing, yeah. Because the ground and the earth and all of creation has to be cleansed because of our sin. Yeah, and again we'll see right off the bat this is already a worse reality, even than Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. It seems like instead of getting better, humanity is getting worse. And by the time we get to the flood story, we'll read that humanity is just enslaved in sin beyond mm. compare. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so in terms of the, the scripture, we'll, we'll wrap there, but just kind of a summary of what we just went through. To sin is to turn away from God, and if we turn away from the God of life, we turn towards death. And yet God has opened up a way, apparently through sacrifice, which, yeah. which hasn't been laid out yet textually, but will be in, in the nation of, of Israel and, the, and their laws. He's opened up a way to help Humans continue to be in relationship with him. But still, because of the kind of beings we are, we do have to embrace that. We have to participate. We have to participate in that, yeah. right? And so this story shows that that they don't do this. And it actually shows that these humans embrace death instead of life. Because God kind of gives them a choice. Which one are you going to choose? Mm. And he chooses the sin that's crouching at his door. 
and he slays his brother, and now they unleash that sin upon each other. And instead of, you know, reigning and ruling together as twin brothers, perhaps, yeah, you know, um, one brother murders the other. Yeah, what a tragedy for Adam and Eve because now both of these offspring are not the offspring that's been talked about. Right. One is dead and one's turned very clearly from the God of life. Right. And so that death starts to multiply yeah. and it starts to become one of the defining factors of, of the human race. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, before we end, it's probably worth talking about that word sin, mm. which is the, the Hebrew word kata. And in uh, Greek, it's hamartia. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes, you know, when I was in, when I was in young life, they talked about this meaning to miss the mark. It's an archery term in mm. Greek. And so if you, uh, and now like in the Olympics, if, if you watch the crossbow shooting competitions, if they miss the, the mark, it's called sin. Mm. It means that's technically what the word means. But the question is missing the mark of what? And when I was told this by, when I was in high school, I thought that what it meant is that you missed the mark of God's rules. Yeah, do this if you don't. You didn't do it. You sinned. You, you didn't missed. Do it. Yeah. You missed the mark, right? And that, that's kind of the way that it was described to me. But I think that's only like a surface level reading of it. And ultimately, I think it's much deeper than that. To sin, to miss the mark, is to actually miss the mark of being human. Yeah. It's to fail at the very purpose and definition of our existence. We're supposed to multiply life. What does Cain do? He takes it. Yeah. He murders. Instead of bringing life into the world, he does the opposite. And so he misses the mark of what it means to be a, a human. Adam and Eve are supposed to walk with God and learn the ways of wisdom, good and evil. And instead, they take the apple from the tree to try to usurp his position yeah. and to become like him in the way that the serpent tempts them. And that is also a profound missing of the mark. Yes. It's not what we're yeah. created to be. That's not what we're supposed to do. And so, you know, instead of bringing life, here you have the offspring of Adam and Eve who sins. Yeah. Misses the mark of being a human. Takes life. Yeah. Instead of multiplying life. Working apart from our our, our purpose. Mm. And it's like we talked about before that our, our purpose never changes. So right. we can fulfill our purpose. It's not that Cain had to become a shepherd. Right. Right? And so we have the opportunity to fulfill our purpose in our own lives. Yeah. It doesn't mean we have to do this one job or else we've missed the mark. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? This right. is this is to all of us that our purpose, mm. you know, remains the same. And to not follow that purpose is to turn away from the God of life, which is to turn towards death, which is to sin. Right. Yeah, in a way, it's beautiful because if you had a decision in your life where yeah. it was like, are you going to keep working in ministry or are you going to change to this other job for some reason, that there's going to be moments in that decision where where God speaks mm-hmm. and you are to discern his voice. And yes. so there are decisions that we make that I think in a godly sense you could say are good decisions or bad decisions, wise decisions. Yes. Or not, or unwise decisions. Yeah. But no matter what you choose in that moment, whatever you go into, that is now your life, and the call to be a human being is the same. Is the same. Yeah. You know, it's it's sometimes you know people, especially young adults, they mm-hmm. get so freaked out about vocation, jobs, because we think our vocation is our purpose. We we right. have innate purpose, and so it frees us from should I go into this field or this field, 
either way, I have the same purpose and I can glorify God. Yeah. That, so while I can weigh answer. the options and see what's best for me, mm-hmm. neither is sin to decide one against the other because both I can fulfill my mandate. Exactly. Yeah. And as whichever way you choose, yeah, you're to be an image of God. Mm-hmm. You're to be fruitful and multiply and rule the earth and subdue it and take God's world from glory to further glory. Yeah. To sin is to do the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. to live not according to your purposes, to live apart from God, yeah. and therefore to follow the force of sin, the, 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 the agent of sin, into darkness and death, where instead of multiplying and spreading and bringing goodness and beauty and order, you do the opposite. Like, yeah. to, to murder your brother is to create a profound amount of chaos, and disorder. Absolutely. Well, you're not supposed to be that. You're supposed to create order and goodness. Mm-hmm. To slay your brothers, to take a life. Well, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to create life. And so, uh, really, like that is the seriousness of sin. Yes. And that is what this story is telling us how, as this sin starts to come upon us and lead us away from God and then infect us and the world around us and then multiply and spread you start to get this disintegration instead of yeah. integration. And it's why we can't just sin a little mm. because it's it's an infection. Right. You don't get to just be infected a little. Yeah, right. You know? Right. This is, this is it's like what God tells Cain. If you go down this path, sin is crouching at the door. You don't yeah. get to decide, well, I'll do these small sins and then I'll be fine. Yeah, right. It's, it's a turning you know, envelops us and, 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 you know, deforms us. Deforms us. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Sin is formative. Yeah. In the same way that righteousness is. Right. Because he could have walked down the path that it seems like God was opening up for him where Mm -hmm. he says, no, just do, do well and you'll be exalted. Just like small faithfulness (laughs) and things we don't see, you know, results in still contribute to our formation. Mm Mm-hmm. Small sins that we think don't matter still deform us. Yeah. In ways we can't even comprehend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, good deeds, virtue, and righteousness is formative. Mm-hmm. So, one of the reasons that we tell people to give, to be generous, to tithe, yeah. is because you become something when you do that. Mm-hmm. You become generous. Mm-hmm. We tell people to serve because when you serve, uh, not only does it help the world around you, but when you serve, you become a servant. Yeah. And so the things that we do make us. Mm-hmm. Well, so does sin, though. Right. The, the other side of the coin is true as well, that if you do the opposite of those things, you start to become the opposite of those things. Yeah. If you hoard your money and you don't give it away, you start to become greedy. Yeah. Uh, and you might say, no, 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 that's not why I don't give to the church. And fair enough, I'm sure there's <laughs> uh, other reasons. But you do have to understand that, that you know, by holding on tightly to something that you're supposed to be generous with, you're becoming something. Yeah. You know, and the same is true of every virtue and, it, and mm-hmm. it's and it's flip side Absolutely. Of, of sin. And so uh, as we as we wrap there for the week, the one thing that I want us to reflect on before we hit the second half of this next week is um, we, we're all very concerned with justice, mm-hmm. right? And so what would a just response from God look like here? It's a good question to end with, huh? Like, what do you think he should do? Hmm. Because we do, and, and I'm not saying this to shame people, I'm just saying that we read the Old Testament and mm-hmm. we have a lot of questions where it feels like God is being over the top, right? Like uh, one of the first heresies of the church was this idea 
Uh, it's called Martianism. There's a guy named Martian who said the God of the Old Testament is evil and, mm. and, and you know, mean, but Jesus is good. And so he kind of had this, yes. this yeah. you know, bifurcated Bible, and he said that none of those scriptures are actually inspired, but some of the Gospels and then some of Paul's writings are because they show this gracious God. Uh, but that's not what we've seen so far. We've right. seen God meet everything with grace, and so how is God going to meet this situation? There are consequences, but how is he going to meet this situation? And as somebody who has concerns about justice, what do you think he should do? Yeah. What would you do? Mm. Right? Interesting question. I think it's a good way to leave. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we go? Nothing else. All right. Well, thank you guys for being with us. Uh, I believe this is week. Tw- this is week. Oh, I'm lost. Eleven. I, okay. Uh, I think this is week eleven because we did a two part episode. But this See, is good. this is the twelfth episode. Okay. So this sure, is this yeah. is the twelfth episode of Story Symbol Spirit, and so we're we're working our way through. Look at us. The, we're in Genesis four. <laughs> the beginning is, of the Bible. Look at there, guys. And and so again, this is what this is what we promise. We we want to go through this stuff slowly enough that we can touch upon things yeah. that you may have had questions about, and so that does require a, a certain lack of speed swiftness but but it's fun for me so i hope i hope it's fun for everybody else too but all right with that thank you guys for for listening and we will see you next week on story simple spirit Mm -hmm.